Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, we uh, we took a week off, which we don't usually do, but there was just a lot going on. There was a holiday and some other craziness happening, so we decided to take a week, recharge our batteries. But here we are back with not even a mini episode, but a full official after the ending episode. So that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah. What What do you mean holiday, Mike? Why? Why? <laughs> oh, that's right. We, we didn't have a holiday over here, that's but right. you said we couldn't record because you got some kind of <laughs> cockamamie holiday celebrating some kind of. What is it celebrating? Yeah, that would be celebrating our our removing the yoke of tyranny that Britain had imposed on the U.S. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, this could be a touchy subject. I know. As I say, I guess Independence Day is probably not the Brits' favorite holiday to be ignored <laughs> on. But you know, listen, what can I do? I wasn't there for it. No, you're 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 welcome to it. You're welcome to it. We we let you go. You know, we just thought you'd fight for it, though. You know, to show you know show you how you need to fight for things. So I think it all worked out okay in the, the end, hopefully. It seems to have done okay in the end. I think everyone's happy with the way things are now. Yeah, it seemed to be, but uh, I think some of you might want to come back. I mean, you know, listen, world politics are just so serene and calm right now. It's like we need something to shake things up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all it's all good over here. It's all good over there. Yeah, people, everyone's happy. People are loving taking vaccines, and we all know the world is round because, you know, <laughs> right. that, that's all known stuff. Nobody's going to go, you know, question any of that. So. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe this is what we need to keep things interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's move on. Let's start talking about movies because that's what we're here to do. Uh, Phil, tell people what we are going to talk about in this jam-packed episode. This episode, we're going to be going after the ending of Treasure Planet and Twins. And also doing our top five favorite performances by Harrison Ford, who I believe has been in a few a few films. Yeah, not an easy list to put together, although I found that I think my list comes out somewhat unconventional uh, because of the fact that we base our lists on performances and not movies. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I took a, little, a couple of left turns here and there. So we'll see. I'll be very interested to see how our lists compare. Okay, that's good. Yes. So I thought you said one was going to take a left turn. It was going to be... Performances by different actors, you know, Mark Hamill, because I'm making the impression of Harrison Ford. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing that in a bit later on. Uh, yeah, yeah, it should be fun. Uh, but before we get to that, let's get into our endings. So uh, I think we'll start off with Treasure Planet. How does that sound? That sounds good. Uh, do you want to give us a rundown of what happened in that film? Absolutely. Uh, so Treasure Planet from 2002, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, David Hyde Pierce, Emma Thompson, and Martin Short. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is the last of the somewhat traditionally animated Disney films before they went to the all-CGI slate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the story goes that young Jim Hawkins is enchanted by stories of the legendary pirate captain Nathaniel Flint and how he can supposedly appear from nowhere, raid a ship, and disappear, hiding his treasure on the mysterious Treasure Planet. Twelve years later, a ship crashes and the dying pilot gives young Jim a map to the treasure planet. Pirates then raid Jim's home, and Jim, his mom, and their friend Dr. Doppler go on the run. They hire a ship called the Legacy, led by the cat-like Captain Amelia and her ragtag crew. Jim forms a hesitant father-son relationship with a crew member called Silver. 
But the crew mutinies as they are really pirates, and Jim, Doppler, Captain Amelia, and Silver's shape-shifting pet, Morph, escape to the treasure planet, although Captain Amelia is injured. Then a lot of stuff happens, but basically we find out that Silver is the leader of the pirates, and they discover a portal that can transport them to any point in the galaxy, thus revealing Captain Flint's secret. Turns out the planet is a space station Captain Flint had built, but they booby-trapped it to self-destruct if it was discovered. As they try to escape, Silver saves Jim's life, guess he's not all bad, and Jim leads the crews to safety, using the portal to transport them to a spaceport. Silver and Jim part ways, but Silver gives Jim his pet morph and a portion of the treasure he got from the planet before it exploded. Captain Amelia offers Jim a recommendation to the Interstellar Academy, and as the film ends, we see that Doppler and Amelia have married, and Jim is now a military cadet. And that's the end. Yeah, that was a good rundown. It'd make a good book, actually, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Not a, it's not a bad idea. But maybe <laughs> maybe without the science fiction, though, because I feel like yeah. that you, you need the, the screen to kind of show off all the cool stuff. But maybe yeah. if you said it like in the past or something. It yeah, might like make pirates and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's always popular, right? It's something you can maybe think about for the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Someone should, someone should get on that. <laughs> all right, so Phil, what do you think about Treasure Planet? Uh, I just, I've only seen it a couple of times, to be honest, a long time ago, because it was uh, 2002, wasn't it? But uh, no, I enjoyed it. I always liked the story of Treasure Planet. Right. It's although it's well, I say I've always enjoyed it. It's never been it's never been one that's grabbed me. But I, you know, I always like pirates and high adventure, and and I quite like the you know the tr- make it a sci-fi story and it was like 2d wasn't it It was 2d traditional animation and 3d computer animation i think for the spaceships and yeah it was like the 3d backgrounds and spaceships yeah, and stuff, I, I, always, the I always liked the, I liked the character designs and the whole look of the thing but yeah, yeah on the whole i quite liked it and it's good good voice cast as well yes for sure yeah what about you what do you think of it i really like it actually i think it's one of those um you know it's that kind of last gasp 2d animation disney stuff that gets overlooked a lot uh like this in atlantis the lost continent i think it's um it's really underrated, actually. It's a really fun adventure film. It's it's big. It's got you know swashbuckling and space adventure and pirates. Like it's really fun. There's so much to like in it, and it just got completely swept under the rug. People were just into the whole Pixar thing by then, and I just it didn't get a fair shake. But I, I've always thought it was a really good film. Yeah, well, it's just looking just at the bits here. It, uh, it was estimated it cost 140 million dollars to create, and end, uh, just shy of 110 million dollars worldwide. So, right. Yeah. yeah, it didn't even break 100 in the U.S. I yeah. mean, and this is a... You yeah, know, 30, Disney... 38 million in the U.S. It might. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, crazy, especially after the heights of Disney in the 90s, you know, with Lion King yeah. and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and all those, you know, big films. Then this was really, I mean, 38 million was uh, kind of, it was a flop, basically, at yeah, that yeah. point. But I think it's a good film. I think it deserves to be uh, revisited. Yeah, it's one I definitely need to give a, have a rewatch again, so... Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, you want to go ahead and kick things off with your ending, then? Okay, yeah, my day after then. Uh, Jim excels at the Interstellar Academy. His sky surfing skills and quick thinking make him an excellent scout and pilot. He's well liked by all his peers and is a natural of pretty much everything. Uh, Morph also becomes the mascot for his unit. However, Jim does feel restricted by all the rules and regulations of the Academy and he misses the life of the open skies. Then one day, while Jim is on guard duty, a message comes through over his personal comm line. It was Silver. Ah, Jim, a lad, good to see you. I'm in a bit of a pickle and I need your help. And that's my day after. All right. Well, I will say that, uh, as though as people know, we don't compare endings, but might be a couple of minor similarities. It's it's too early to tell if we're going in any similar directions, but maybe some touch points that are on the same wavelength. Okay. Well, hit me with it. What's going on your day after? All right. Well, Jim returns to the military academy and continues to train. He's loving every minute of it, although he's particularly impressed by the academy's dedication to exploration, peacekeeping, and humanitarian efforts. While all of the cadets are trained in fighting and military tactics, it's been almost 50 years since there's been a military skirmish. 
Instead, the Interstellar Star Corps actually helps people across the galaxy. Even as a cadet, Jim goes on missions to help evacuate dying planets, provide search and rescue assistance when spaceships are lost or damaged, and aid in humanitarian efforts such as providing food and medical aid to impoverished planets. Jim excels at all of his duties, but his desire to explore the stars never diminishes. Throughout his academy time, Jim stays in contact with his mother, as well as Doppler and Captain Amelia, who are still happily married. It isn't long after graduation that Jim has assigned his own ship to travel the stars in, the RLS Nebula. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Oh, very good. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Thank you. He's been keeping busy. Very good. Thank you. Yes. So let's hear what's going on in your immediate aftermath. Okay. Well, Jim sat nervously in the troop transport. His conversation with Silver had turned into more secret meetings. Silver had revealed he had gotten involved with the pirate Anne Bonnie Five. A cyborg, she was the scourge of the spaceways and Silver had foolishly tried to con Anne and it had not gone well. Anne had given Silver an ultimatum when she caught him, either die or do her one final job. Turns out that final job involved getting the access codes to the interstellar navy armory. That's where Jim came into the picture. Jim didn't want to give the access codes to Silver, but he also didn't want his friend to die. Silver understood and so they had come up with a plan. And that's my immediate aftermath. Mm, I like it. I like it. a little moral quandary here. Yeah, what are you going to do, hey? What are you going to do, Jim? What's going to happen? That's right. Pop quiz, hot shot. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> different movie, different franchise. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go really fast. What was the name of that film? I busted yeah. really fast. Okay, uh, okay that, uh, what's going on with your immediate aftermath and, uh, and Jim on his new ship? Okay, well, Jim turns out to be an impeccable captain, well-respected by the crew and a true asset to the galaxy. Wherever the nebula travels, Jim and the crew are able to help people, make scientific discoveries, and keep the peace. When he does see action, his hand-to-hand fighting skills are legendarily second to none. Before long, he's considered one of the true heroes of the galaxy. Jim is more fulfilled than he's ever been. One day, a beacon appears on the ship's sensors. His first officer runs the requisite scans and then says with astonishment, Captain Hawkins, it's a message of some sort, and it's addressed to you. Taking the message in his quarters, Jim is surprised to see it's from Silver. Jim, I found it, the greatest treasure in the universe, and it has to end up in the right hands. I can't think of anyone who will ensure its safety better than you. I've been following your career, young man, and I have to say, I'm impressed. Jim feels a swelling of pride in his chest. Then Silver's message says, This is the last you'll be hearing from me, kid. I'm moving on to something bigger and better. You'll understand in time. With that, the holographic image winks out and is replaced by a map to a distant corner of the universe. Jim instructs the crew to set a course for the location on the map, and the nebula warps off in search of the unknown treasure. And that's my immediate aftermath. Ooh, good, good, good. Is, is, the, is the unknown treasure friendship? And it was in Jim's heart all along. <laughs> Dang it, you ruined my ending, Oh, Phil. no. <laughs> Spoilers. Jeez. Damn it. Sorry, Mike. Sorry. <laughs> Touche, sir. Touche. Oh, I like it. No, I like uh, it, though. It's good. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's hear how yours wraps up, then. Give us your long term. Okay. Jim stood before his commander. He could feel sweat dripping down his back as the nerves got the better of him. Commander LaForge looked over the report one last time before (laughs) moving... I know. It just makes sense. Yeah, I get it. Commander LaForge, yeah. yeah. Uh, Commander LaForge looked over the report one last time before moving to stand in front of Jim. Cadet Hawkins, having read your report, all I can say is congratulations. To single-handedly bring in Anne Bonnie Five with no loss of life is truly an achievement. Commander LaForge pinned the medal on Jim's chest before continuing. We also note how John Silver helped you. I've pulled some strings and we're having him move to a better holding facility and he will have a reduced sentence. Jim shook the commander's hand, thanked him and headed back to his barracks. He couldn't believe how they'd done it, but his friend, although in prison, was safe and they'd taken a dangerous step from the spaceways. And Jim went on to have a long, 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 long and fruitful career in the uh, intergalactic navy. 
And that's my long term. I like it. Very nice. Thank you very much. It's funny that you named him Commander LaForge because I did I did have for a while. I was thinking, I was like, so if Jim Hawkins changed his last name to Kirk, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I decided oh God, not to go that prequel. way. It's been a prequel all right, along. Right, right, exactly. Wow, uh, that would have been good. Okay, then what's going on though with uh, with your long term and this, uh, this treasure? All right, here we go. 40 years later, Admiral Jim Hawkins finishes his speech, steps off the podium, and sits down to wait out a standing ovation from the crowd that lasts a full 12 minutes. It isn't every day, after all, that the greatest hero in the galaxy steps down from public service. He reflects on his career and can't believe that he's retiring. His mind wants to continue to explore the galaxy and help people, but his body is breaking down, and he has to face the fact that captaining a ship is a younger man's game. After the ceremony, filled with endless speeches that mostly just embarrassed Jim, who's remained humble his entire life, he returns to his quarters to find a message waiting. Jim, it's Forrest and PsyOps. Believe it or not, we finally figured it out. It's taken four decades, but at last we know what it is. Just an hour later, Jim is looking at the treasure that Silver had led him to in the deepest, most restricted area of PsyOps, while Forrest and his team explain. Believe it or not, it's a transference device, but it doesn't transport you to a different location. It transports you to another life in another universe. It basically takes your mind and your soul, for lack of a better word, and transfers them to another person's body in an alternate universe. This is mind-blowing stuff, Jim. But there's a catch. It's a one-way trip. It takes Jim all of about five seconds to decide. I assume you need a test subject, he says. Where do I sign up? Whoa, okay, wow. And that's the end. Whoa, that's, that's a good, wow. I like that. That's a... Thank you. Now... That's a hell of a device. Is there a post-credit sequence? There is a post-credit sequence. And I've been waiting to get to this. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So no. I really like I really like what I came up with here. Go I'm on. not gonna I'm not even be modest about this one. I really like what I came no, up with. No, if it's and if I'm you, gonna brag. If you about like it. it, you've just gotta yeah, go with it. Let's let's hear it. I wanna know what happens. All right, so after the credits roll, fade from black, and Jim awakens from the transference to a scene of chaos. There's smoke and fire everywhere, and Jim can see he's in a ship of some sort. But before he can do anything, the ship plunges to the ground at high speed. The last thing he remembers before everything goes black is that he's very, very cold. And then, nothing. Jim's consciousness fades away. An undetermined amount of time later, Jim opens his eyes, slowly at first, as the light in the room hurts them. He hears a radio broadcast talking about unfamiliar things. Then, a dark-skinned man with an eye patch walks into the room. Hello, Captain Rogers, the man says. <laughs> or should I call you <laughs> Captain America? Holy fuck. Wow, that's awesome, yeah. <laughs> wow, so in the last... Oh, wow. A lifetime of being a hero in another galaxy, and then he gets to be a hero all over again. Yeah, and doesn't let anybody know that he's not the Steve Rogers. Right, right, wow. exactly. And yeah. I was toying with the idea of having Nick Fury say, don't you recognize your old friend Silver? Because I thought, <gasps> wouldn't that Ooh. be cool, right? Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. Nick Fury is a little bit of a rogue, doesn't play by yeah, the yeah, rules, yeah. right? So... But I thought I would just leave it at the, you know, the good. Oh no, I like that's moment. really good, yeah. So yeah. thanks, I had fun with that. I thought it was, oh, I thought it was very fun. good. All right, so there you go. Those are our, our endings for Treasure Planet. Phil, it's time to visit Trivia Planet. So what do you have for us? I like Trivia Planet. Well done, Mike. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, a sequel was planned with um, Willem Dafoe was going to be involved. He was going to voice the villainous Iron Beard, but it never happened. So <laughs> yeah, well we know why. We just talked about how little money it made. So yeah, yeah. But Willem Dafoe, you know, he would have been great at it. This was Patrick McGowan's final acting role before his death in two thousand and nine. And he was the voice of Billy Bones, the sailor who owned the map to Treasure Planet. Yep. And famously, for those who don't recognize the name, he played the prisoner on TV in the very famous and well-loved uh, sci-fi series. 
and he's also the bad guy in Silver Street opposite uh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. There you go. I must watch that film again. I like the film. Footage from 1953's Peter Pan was used to test CGI grafts onto animated bodies when they were testing the new the 3D and 2D animation. Hmm. Uh, this was the first feature film simultaneously released in both regular and IMAX theatres. Oh, wow. Uh, James Franco, Keanu Reeves and Viggo Mortensen were all considered for the role of Jim Hawkins. Well, there you go. But that went to Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Of course, right. Who mm-hmm. did a very good job. Yes, he did. That's uh, Treasure Planet. All right. I like it. All right. Well, let's move on then to Twins. Phil, do you want to remind people what was going on in Twins back in the late 80s? Yeah, well, this is 1988. Ivan Reitman produced and directed it. Uh, and it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito as the twins. But uh, it's a, we see a secret experiment takes place to produce the perfect child. It combines the DNA of six fathers, uh, which are then used to fertilize an egg. And the, the embryo split and the twins, Julius and Vincent, were born. The mother, Marianne Benedict, played by Bonnie Bartlett, was told that Julius, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, died at birth. And she was not told about Vincent, who ends up getting played by Danny DeVito. Uh, Julius, the Arnie character, he grows to athletic proportions. And on his 35th birthday, he's told about his twin brother, Vincent. Julius, he was also raised on the South Pacific Island. So he, he heads off from the island and tr- ends up tracking down Vincent, uh, who's now living in L.A. And Vincent is currently in prison for unpaid parking tickets. So Vincent's well dodgy, but they find out that their mother is still alive and they head off to find her with Vincent's girlfriend, Linda Mason, and her sister Marnie, who Julius falls for. Unbeknownst to to Julius and the two girls, Vincent is transporting a prototype fuel injector, which is worth $5 million, which he wants to use to pay off his debts because he's being chased by some uh, gangsters. And the search for his mum is just a way of covering for this trip. Uh, So what follows is a road trip. Various confrontations with gangsters, miscommunications and more hijinks, including twin telepathy. Things work out for the best, though, and the twins start a consulting firm. They're reunited with their mother. The brothers marry the Mason sisters, and both couples end up having twin children. Twins themselves. They Both both couples have twins. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and that's how it ends. <laughs> Very well done. So, uh, yeah, so twins. Phil, how do you uh, how do you feel about this movie? Uh, I, quite, I, I do like it. It's, it was good fun seeing, you know, Arnie doing a comedy, and Danny DeVito's always good, and it's just a bit... It's a it's a very silly setup, but it it works quite well. It's yeah, uh, yeah I do like it. Yeah, I um I like it too. I just it's a funny it's an interesting film because it was huge back when it yeah, came it out. Yeah, it was. You know? Looking at I've forgotten it, how big it was. It was I mean yeah it was a big hit film and this was like the height of Schwarzenegger's popularity and it was this you know early on in his comedy roles and you had Devito who was you know kind of at the height of his popularity there and uh, you know everybody I remember everybody had seen this movie everybody was talking about this movie like this was back when you know. Well, the crazy thing is, one little bit of trivia, but I'll do it now because it's, it's, it relates to what you've just been saying. Mm-hmm. Arnie earned more money from twins than any of the Terminator movies. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. crazy. That tells you how yeah. big it was, right? I mean, it yeah, was a yeah. huge monster hit. So I do like it, although I will say I haven't seen it in a long time. And I feel like of the Schwarzenegger canon, this is one of the films that's kind of fallen into the background. Like, Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it's sort of one of those ones where... Every time I do get to see it, I always go, oh, I forgot. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like people remember it that much or it's just more of like a footnote in his career, even though it was a humongous hit. So I don't know why that is. But um, I mean, I guess it's a high concept film. So maybe that's something to do with it. But uh, I don't know. Interesting. So but yeah, Yeah. I like it. It's fun. Good times. Yeah. Good one. It's uh, definitely worth checking out again. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, But that's uh, that's what happened in the film. Do you want to share your day after? Sure thing. 
Well, life is good for Julius and Vincent. Their consulting firm is going strong, and Vincent does most of the schmoozing and wheeling and dealing, while Julius tends to be the one to go out into the field and do much of the legwork. Vincent is constantly looking for another get Rick, not a get Rick quick scheme because I don't. That would be weird. <laughs> Vincent is constantly looking for another get rich quick scheme, but Julius continually steers him back to the straight and narrow. Both of them are loving fathers to their respective sets of twins, and their business makes enough money for Marnie and Linda to be stay-at-home moms. Then, one day, a new client walks into the consulting firm. He's a slick-looking man with dark hair, sunglasses, a tailored suit, and a vaguely European accent. So, obviously, he seems completely trustworthy and not at all like the villain of every 80s movie. <laughs> he, he plugs a briefcase. Has he got a gold chain on as well? <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Probably one glass eye, I'm thinking. That's why he wears the sunglasses. Uh, he plunks a briefcase full of cash on the desk in front of Julius and Vincent and says, Are you ready to make some real money? And that's, that's my day after. Well, that can only end well. Of course. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's hear what you've got going on for yours. Julius and Vincent sit in the garden watching their kids play games. The brothers just sit and smile. Vincent drinks his beer and Julius drinks a super healthy smoothie. Julius is so happy to have a proper family. Vincent is also content. He loves the fact he is not constantly looking over his shoulder. He's also grateful for Julius tempering his more criminal thoughts. Marnie comes out of the house and tells them of a new story they need to see. They go in and watch a news report from Russia. It says that a perfect human has been created along with his smaller twin brother, Dimitri and Ivan, uh, played by Dolph Lundgren and Joe Pesci. <laughs> Whoa, says Vincent. That's awesome. Looks like we got ourselves an evil twin situation developing. Uh, and that's my day after. Uh, well, obviously, I love it. That's fantastic. Uh, very nicely done. Very nicely done. Thank you very much. But that's, uh, that's my day after. What's going on with your immediate aftermath? All right. Well, it turns out the European man, whose name is Switchblade Archimedes, wants Vincent and Julius to, <laughs> to rescue. That's a brilliant name. Thank you. I was really trying to dig into the, the whole 80s thing here. So. Switchblade Archimedes. Yeah, I like that, right? And that'll be his Christian name as well. It won't be it, Oh, yeah, be, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, that's his given name for sure. Yeah. Uh, he wants Vincent and Julius to rescue his daughter, who's been kidnapped by other vaguely European bad guys. When Julius explains that they don't do that kind of work and, and that while he looks very strong, he actually lives a, a nonviolent life, Archimedes explains that he actually wants Vincent to go into the field and retrieve her. He explains that all the other mercenaries he's hired to get her back were stopped easily because they all look like muscle-bound soldiers. No matter what he disguised them as, whether it was a scientist, a firefighter, a businessman, or even a kindergarten teacher, they're always <laughs> detected before they even get close to the girl. Vincent says, uh-uh, no way. No how am I going to go out there and risk my life. Forget it. Archimedes pulls out another briefcase full of money and sets it on the desk. When do we leave? Vincent asks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, very good. Like Thank it. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I like the way you go with, the, uh, with all the 80s action movie. Yeah, yeah, I kind of thought, well, if you're going to do a, if they had done a sequel to this, because the yeah. first one was all the setup, right? Yeah, yeah. So if they had done a sequel, especially in the 80s or the early 90s, the setup would have been, okay, now that they're established as twins, they have to go off and get into some kind of adventure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the formula at that time. So yeah. I was so I figured I got to I got to get to that. I got to do huh. that, you know? Excellent. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's hear what's going on with your evil twin situation because I am enjoying that quite as well. Okay. Well, Dimitri and Ivan claim that they are the first of their kind. Dimitri is the first perfect human ever to walk the planet. Vincent is furious and ends up calling a press conference to say that it is Julian who is, in fact, the true first genetic marvel. It's not long after that Dimitri and Julian come face to face. Both Vincent and Ivan have visions of it resulting in some kind of fight which they could market and make lots of money. Vincent hopes that Dimitri will say something 
you know, in Sundry, like, I will break you. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Yeah. I was so waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, Dimitri and Vincent immediately hit it off and start talking about <laughs> philosophy, science, art, and more. That's awesome. Vin- uh, Vincent and Ivan are totally deflated. <laughs> Uh, and that's my immediate aftermath. That's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So what's going on though with uh, with with Vincent's going off into the field and trying to take that, trying to rescue this guy's uh, daughter? All right. Well, here we go. Uh, Vincent runs across the minefield as fast as his little legs will carry him. The young girl strapped to his back is mercifully unconscious as Vincent is screaming at the top of his lungs. The henchman... The, <laughs> I could just see Donna DeVito. <laughs> right? Right? Exactly. Because he's not going to be all macho about it. He's going to be screaming. <laughs> yeah. The henchmen shooting at him haven't been able to hit him yet, but every so often they hit a mine and cause an explosion within feet of him that shower him with dirt and debris. As he nears the edge of the minefield, Julius pipes up in his earpiece. Get to the chopper! He yells, just as a helicopter touches down <laughs> no, in the clearing. Get to the chopper! <laughs> exactly. You gotta have it, right? Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, a ninja drops out of a tree, ready to take out Vincent with a sword. But Vincent is moving too fast to stop, and he accidentally barrels into the ninja at full speed and completely flattens him. Finally, completely exhausted, Vincent hauls himself and the girl into the waiting helicopter, and they take off. When they return to headquarters, Archimedes inspects the girl carefully before he even says a word to her. Julius is suspicious and says, What's going on here? Are you really her father? We're not turning this girl over to you if you're a bad guy. Yeah, says Vincent. Wait, we're not? He mutters, eyeing the briefcases full of money. I can assure you, gentlemen, I'm the furthest from a bad guy. This little girl is actually a clone I've created. In her cells is the secret to curing every form of cancer. The men holding her wanted to prevent the cures from being released as it would ruin their financial empire. Really, gentlemen, just because I don't look like a scientist. Well, you'd think the two of you of all people would know better than to judge someone by their appearance. And with that, Archimedes takes the girl and walks out, leaving Vincent and Julius with more money than they know what to do with. And that's the end. Excellent. I like it. Yeah, that's of course. The whole point of twins is you shouldn't judge. See that? I I brought it all around with a little moral lesson. Just because his name is Archimedes Switchblade doesn't mean he can't be altruistic. No! (laughs) Uh, all right. Well, there you go. So that's my ending. Well, how does yours wrap up, Phil? Okay. Dimitri and Julia stand on Mars. The mission <laughs> they helped develop has been a huge success. The joint U.S.-Russia project has helped bring stability to the world, and a mission to Mars has helped generate huge interest in science and technology. Vincent and Ivan also made a stack of money selling the TV rights to every place, every country, everywhere they could. Nice. They also sold some, you know, dodgy-looking T-shirts. <laughs> uh, Julius and Dimitri were also the best choice for the mission. As they proceed with exploring Mars, Dimitri motions to Julius and says, If all goes well, we could one day have a blue sky on Mars, eh, Tovarish? And that's <laughs> where mine ends. I like it. I like it. Uh, if we have any uh, artist listeners out there and they want to design a Julius and Dimitri t-shirt with Dolph Lundgren and Arnold Schwarzenegger standing on Mars, I would totally wear the crap out of that. I'm just saying. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, But yeah. it has to say Julius and Dimitri on it in like cheesy 80s lettering. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, there you go. So that is Twins. Phil, do you have any Twins trivia for us? Yeah, well, as I said, Arnie earned more money from this than any of the Terminator movies, but that's also, it was hugely successful, but through the deal he made, he got 20% of the profits. So he made, well, basically made a stack of money. Right, right. Uh, Two real-life twins were reunited with their fathers after seeing him in the scene set in downtown Santa Fe. Wow, So that's kind of nice. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger is three years younger than Danny DeVito. Oh, good to know. Interesting. Mm. And let's say that's twins. All right. Very nicely done. 
All right, well, that's our endings for Twins and Treasure Planet. Now it's time to move on to 100 Stars of Hollywood in 100 Episodes, wherein Phil and I take one of our favorite actors or actresses and we share our top five performances by them. So not our top five favorite movies, but our top five performances, uh, which makes things interesting sometimes. And today we are talking about one of the biggest box office stars in the history of the world, one Harrison Ford. Yes, yes, indeed. He's uh, we, all, we all know Harrison Ford. Yeah. Harry, as some of us call him, but... Or 40, well, for those of us who, who know 40, him really, yeah. or are close. H, ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, this seems like kind of a, a silly question to ask, but Phil, are you a fan of Harrison Ford? Yeah, I, I, I do like him. I, I think he's, he's uh, well, I just think he's, I've, I've always liked him since, I don't want to mention some of the films he's been. We all know right. what films he's been. Yeah, we all know. But, you know, many of us will have been huge fans of Harrison Ford for a long, long time because he's in some of our favorite movies. He's uh, he comes off a bit good, uh, you know, grumpy and stuff in real life nowadays. But he has got a good sense of humor. I I just really like him. He yeah. just he's like a good everyman. Uh, he's done a huge wide range of roles and things like that. He he can he's good at comedy. And I think we often forget that he's good at comedy. Yep, yep. Uh, he's just yeah, he's brilliant. And what about you? What do you think of him? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan, obviously. I mean, as you said, I, I think anybody who grew up in the 80s really loves Harrison Ford because he was in two massive franchises that sort of define that decade and, you know, define movie going and adventure for a lot of kids. And uh, for years and years and years, if you ask me who my favorite actor was, I would say without hesitation, Harrison Ford. Uh, obviously, his later output has kind of waned a little bit in terms of quality, although he's made some some sneaky, surprisingly good films yeah, yeah. in his later career that people have ignored because he's not the box office powerhouse he once was. But um, there's some some late career stuff of his that's really good that didn't make my list, but, but I'll mention a couple of honorable mentions at the end because um, I don't want to spoil anything. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I love Harrison Ford. <laughs> what more do I need to say? Yeah, and I think I think most people out there, well, even if you don't like some of his films, there's bound to be one or two films. There's bound to be at least one film where he's in that you like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably more than that, I would think, for most people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, well, do you want to kick us off then and give us your number five? Yeah, my number five is a film from 1985. It's an American crime thriller directed by Peter Weir, and this one is uh, Witness. Ah, very good. This is the one where Harrison Ford plays a cop and he's assigned to look after this Amish kid played by Lucas Haas through the what happens with the plot and the, and the reasons because the kid witnesses a murder. Harrison uh, Ford ends up having to go and stay in the Amish community, Amish community uh, where he meets Kelly McGillis and he has to basically go undercover because people after the kid and therefore after Harrison Ford. Oh, his character's called John Buck as well, which I thought was quite a good little name. Yeah. Uh, but it's it was good because he, uh, he was playing just like basically like a stereotypical kind of cop but it's sort of you see his because he's going on the Amish the Amish lifestyle which I, I think many of us didn't know much about at the time until we saw this film so we got this big city cop who ends up going into this this, this very insular community you know not dealing with modern technology and he he sort of finds himself again and he he, he likes the lifestyle and he sort of, it's, it's, it's just nice seeing the journey of this character sort of finding his innocence again but then also having to deal with the bad guys and look after these people who, who are sort of inadvertently because of uh, Harrison Ford's character, it's to you know, uh, some of their lives at risk. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's a great performance. It's a great film. Some really tense bits as well. Every time I see it, I go, oh, I forgot how good this film was. Uh, but that's uh, that's my number five. 
Yeah, that's a great pick. I, I love that movie. Um, and I believe he was nominated for an Oscar for that. If I'm not mistaken, this is only Oscar nomination. Yeah, yeah, he was Yeah, he was nominated for Academy Award for Best Actor. Yeah. And here's the thing. That movie, actually, I'm glad you started with that. That is the perfect encapsulation of how this list was difficult for me. Uh, because a lot of the movies that I think have some of his best performances in them, which I really like, I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and Witness is one of those movies I always mean to rewatch, but I haven't probably seen in 20 years. So when I was trying to rank his performances... I kept thinking, well, where does Witness fall? Is it above this? Is it below this? And it ended up just not making the list, even though I think it's a terrific performance. But my memories of it are spotty at best, so I had to leave it off my list. But I think it's a worthwhile choice, and it is a great movie and a great performance. Yes, it's, uh, glad you like it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's probably one that many of us haven't seen for a long time, to be honest. Yeah, even though it's a great film. So yeah, definitely yeah. going to watch it again soon. Yeah. All right, very good. So my number five is from 1982. It's one of his most well-loved films, even though it wasn't a big box office hit. It is Blade Runner. And, and I wrestled with this one because I think we can all agree that Harrison Ford can sometimes be a bit of an understated actor. You know, he doesn't yeah, yeah, overact yeah. in a lot of things. And Blade Runner is kind of a more restrained performance. But I put it on my list because I think that he kind of takes on this, this sort of noir detective role set in a science fiction setting. And I think he really digs into it. So even though it might seem like he's not acting that much, he's just being sort of taciturn, I I do think there's a better performance going on there than it might seem like on the surface. So, um, so that's why I made my list. I do think it's obviously a good film, but I, I like the way his character really is is dark and brooding and, and you know, this sort of noir detective. So that's my number five. That's an excellent choice, and it's my number four. Oh, there you go. Hey, I can spoil your fun for a change. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's. <laughs> uh, but I, I agree with everything you say. People, you could look at it and just think he's just going, well, he's just going through the motions. But, yeah, it's... Uh, to play that, play that character and have that ambiguity about it and being burnt out and tired and just bringing that across, but he's still doing the job, still looking after people. Uh, yeah, I think it's a real good performance. And also because of the various cuts and everything, you get to see different bits. There was also the lousy voiceover bit, which right. never quite worked anyway. But uh, as I've said before, Blade One, it's not my favourite films because it's just every time I see it, it just seems to get... I always like to start, but Harrison Ford... And Mucker Howe as well, but Harrison Ford is always really, really good in it. Yep. Uh, and yeah, he just he, it's an understated but but a well a well played performance, and it's it's one of the classic uh, noir kind of detectives. But as you say, in a sci fi thing. But yep. yeah, good pick. All right, very good. All right, here's my number four. This is kind of my big one, um, but I'm going to throw it out there as it is, and and maybe people will be surprised. It's only at number four, but it is a tie. Okay, And it is a tie between the entire Star Wars trilogy and the entire Indiana Jones trilogy. Ah, very good. Okay. And here's here's why I did that. I mean, I think, I think it's kind of fairly obvious. But Han Solo and Indiana Jones are not the most different characters in the world. You know, they're both based, I think, mm -hmm. you know, they're different in terms of their setting and their profession and stuff like that. But really, they're both Harrison Ford with his charisma turned up to 11. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That's the basis of both of those characters. And I don't think you can underestimate the the performance in those roles, especially in some of the later films, you know, and maybe in the first Star Wars, he's more of the scoundrel, but he gets he gets more interesting as he goes, uh, I think, in those films. And and so I do think they're good performances because they're action, they're funny, and they're charming, and they're romantic in ways, you know, and stuff like that. So I think they're they're good strong performances. I don't think they're acting powerhouses. So that's why they're only number four on my list. They deserve to be on the list, in my opinion, but they're, they're not my number one, even though those are my favorite movies of his. As far as performances go, I think he's done heavier lifting in other roles. I think they both deserve to be on here because they're just such charismatic performances, and you don't create iconic characters like that without being a good actor, being good at playing those characters. 
That's excellent. And you've stolen the thunder. <laughs> yeah, because my number three is The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. There so it's go. not the whole trilogy, but I put them both together, but pretty much the same thing. Sure, sure. They're both uh, Han Solo in a, The Empire Strikes Back. Still has the scoundrel thing going on, but he also... He's changing and he's he's got feelings for people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you get the more you get to learn a bit more about him. Yep, it's he's the why he's one of the characters we first probably many of us first saw him uh, play on the big screen. Yep, uh, and then we have Raiders of the Lost Ark, where Indiana Jones, where he's the action adventurer. He's also a college professor, and as you're right on on both. You know, they're not the the, the toughest roles to play, but. Harrison Ford brings that 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 cheekiness, the cockiness, the arrogance, but also the likability. Where if various actors have been in the in the roles, it would have it could have been forgettable. Maybe not. You know, Tom Selleck, who I love, was down to play Indiana Jones at one point. I, I probably would have been great, but I don't think it would have been the iconic character that Harrison Ford made it. But. Uh, uh, the Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark are my number three. Well, obviously, I agree with those picks since they were my number four, uh, where we seem to be a little bit on the same page. But maybe we'll start taking some some twists and turns here, I think. Mm. All right, man, my number three, then, is The Fugitive from 1993, where Harrison Ford plays Dr. Richard Kimball, uh, chasing the one-armed man as he stars in the movie that is based on the popular TV show from the 60s. I really like this movie, but I do think yeah. it is, uh, it's a great performance from Harrison Ford. You know, it's a chance to do the action thing, but kind of from the other side of the spectrum in that usually he's the cocksure, swagger, charm guy. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. And this is him on the run, and he's haggard, and he's beat, and he's just trying to find the one-armed man, and he just wants someone to believe him, you know? So, uh, and he's a little older at this point. You know, he's not old by any stretch of the imagination, but he's also not as spry as he was in some of his earlier movies. And I think it's a nice realistic take on an action film. So it's nice to see him be able to do the action stuff, but still have this character who's trying to grieve for his wife but has to go on the run and prove his innocence at the same time. Uh, so it's a good it's a good meaty role, and uh, I really like it. And that movie was a big, big hit. Also got nominated for Best Picture, uh, which tells you a little something about how good it was. So that's my number three. An excellent choice. Didn't make my list, but uh, it's, it's a cracking role. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying about it. Yeah, we also went after the ending of that one back in episode 97. There you go. That's true. I think I quite like those endings, from what I remember. Right, right. Okay, my my number two then is a film from 1991, a film directed by Mike Nichols and written and written by J.J. Abrams, which I didn't realise until wow, now. I probably yeah. did, but I've forgotten. But it is regarding Henry. Uh, it's a film which I don't personally. The film as a whole, I sort of don't think you could. You know, it's not it's not one of my favourites. I find it a bit schmaltzy in places, which sometimes you want a bit of schmaltz. But uh, this is the one where Harrison Ford's playing a New York City lawyer. He's having problems with his family. I think he's having an affair, if I recall. But uh, he ends up getting shot. He interrupts a robbery and gets shot and gets brain damaged and suffers amnesia and has basically has to have physical therapy because he can't 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 move as he once did or talk and he, he can't remember who he was. His, his personality changes, but bits of a comeback as he's going on. But it's it's basically he has to relearn about his life, about who he was. I think he doesn't. He finds out he doesn't really like the person he was. He sort of gets to know his family again, but it's. I think it's a great thing because you're seeing him have some forward. The original character is a bit of a sleazebag you don't really like. Uh, he, well, basically, the character he he lost himself in his work and money and things like that. But then we see him right back down again at the the, the side of things, and he has to he has to relearn how to be a person and then become the person he he was or the person he wants to be. And it's uh, it's 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 great. It's a it's a different, very different kind of role for from many of the, the ones he uh, he usually did. Uh, and it's more a more realistic kind of human uh, than lots of the other characters he plays. And it's just. Uh, it's it's an excellent performance. 
in a film which isn't that good, but it well, it's, it's worth watching. But Harrison Ford, he does great things, and he, he, you really feel for the character. And it's uh, yeah, it's regarding Henry from 1991. Very good pick. All right. Well, my number two then is from 1986. And it is a film, probably one of his least seen movies, at least of the first 20 or 30 years of his career. It is The Mosquito Coast. Uh, and he plays Dr. Ali Fox. Uh, it is not a movie I'm a terribly big fan of. And this was, you know, 86 was right in the middle of the Star Wars and the yeah, yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones trilogy. So, of course, any movie with Harrison Ford, I was going to go see. And I went to see it in the theaters. And I was very disappointed by it because it's not the kind of film that you should go see if you love Indiana Jones and, and Han Solo because <laughs> it's not that kind of movie. Um, you know, it, it was, it's a really it was a brave choice for me. He plays this this inventor who's um, disillusioned by America and he basically picks up his family and moves to the jungles of South America to create like a utopia uh, and basically becomes just obsessed with making it work, even though pretty much everything is working against him. There's natives and there's weather and there's all kinds of stuff and it just nothing goes right and he becomes more and more obsessed as he goes. It's a darker film and it's it's not a happy film. Honestly, I haven't seen it recently, but I was always struck by how good his performance is even though it's not a film that I like, but that's through no fault of his own. I just think it's not a story that I cared for all that much, but he's terrific in it and he really does play a character completely different from anything he'd ever played up at that point. So... Uh, that's my number two, The Mosquito Coast. That's an excellent choice. And in fact, it's my number one. Really? Is it? Okay. Yeah. I wasn't yeah, sure it would yeah. even be on your list. Yeah, yeah. As you say, Pete, it's a Peter Weir film. It's a very well-made film. It's got some great scenes and things. But yeah, like you, it's not a film I want to watch all the time. But whatever. If it's on, you know, it's, it's, it is because it is. It's got some stunning scenery involved, and but the performances by everybody. I mean, River Phoenix is in it as well, which I always forget. Helen Mirren. Yep. Uh, but Harrison Ford is just yeah. It's it was different from all of his. Even now, many of us, I don't think he's played a character quite as complex as this one. Right. Well, he probably has, but I'm probably forgetting. But this was a real complex character dealing with many different emotions and just in a in many different situations. But it's just stunning performance all around. Yeah. As you say, because we used him in uh, the Star Wars films and Indiana Jones. And then suddenly they were seeing, I think for lots of people, it might have been like, you go from those and then it could be like, you're suddenly seeing, you know, an actor can do more than just these your favorite film you're seeing him in like an adult role right and you're going oh my god it's 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 the same guy but he's doing something different and it's it is a big change and it's it's just it's a wonderful dark performance by it by him but uh that was my number one but what's your number one all right well my number one i'm gonna say it has already appeared on your list we uh, obviously have not branched out all that much but <laughs> yeah, it, is, thought, yeah. it is regarding henry oh, okay yeah. um and and what's interesting is uh unlike you i love this movie actually i've always been a big fan of this film i saw it in theaters i think i saw it a couple of times i i, I rewatch it every few years i just really really like this movie it is a bit like I said we got a bit of the schmaltz in it but i, I don't mind that a little sappiness. I didn't realize it was written by J.J. Abrams, though. I, I don't think I've seen it recently enough to have, you know. Yeah, well, I think I was I was just surprised. I wanted to saw it then, yeah. But um, I think his performance is terrific. You know, the way he goes from, I, he's very believable as this, you know, grumpy, not nice person, you know, who's yeah. who's just not a great person. And, and his marriage is kind of a wreck and all this. And then he has to transform and learn to be himself all over again, like you said. Uh, it. I think it's a neat progression to watch him go from, you know, being this terrible person to being a good person again and he does it in a way that's believable yeah, yeah. Uh, and i like that about it so it's a neat it's a good progression it's a great performance i love the movie so that that made it my number one and it has the best table joke in any movie ever what's the joke i can't remember there's a he keeps complaining about the in the beginning when he's the the mean 
Harrison Ford, he keeps complaining about this table. He's like, I told you to get rid of that table. It looks like a turtle. And then after he gets shot and they bring him back to the apartment for the first time, he walks in the apartment and he, like, I think it's like the first thing he says. He looks over and he goes, huh, nice table. Oh, okay. And that's like, yeah. that's like my quote from that movie. Not that it's one that people <laughs> recognize because it just sounds like you're complimenting someone's table. But I, I do once in a while throw out, nice table. Oh, cool. And I always hope secretly that someone will <laughs> catch this yeah, yeah. from regarding him. Oh, I like it. So, yeah, so great performance, great movie. Uh, and two lists of, of excellent performances, but clearly we didn't have a whole lot of differences except for uh, The Fugitive and um, what was your name? Witness. 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 So, yeah. uh, I do want to throw out a couple of honorable mentions that didn't make my list. They're kind of later career uh, movies yeah, of yeah. his that I think have been overlooked. I don't know that his performances were good enough to make my list, uh, but they are. They are good films. Uh, the first one is Morning Glory, where he plays a news reporter or a television anchor. Oh, yeah. He's really good in that. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. And yeah. I really like the movie. I think it's very underrated. It, it tanked at the box office, but it's really worth watching. It's all about like a, you know, like a morning show, like a Today kind of show, you know, or, or Good Morning America, one of those types of shows, it's kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit lighter than something like Network, but it's it's a fun movie and I enjoy it. The other one is um, uh, Age of Adeline with uh, him and Blake Lively which i really like oh yeah i've not i've not seen that one yeah i really like that movie a lot but he plays a guy you know she adeline is is ageless basically she is immortal she doesn't she doesn't die she doesn't know why but he's in love with her as a young man back in like the 40s and then he meets her again as as current age harrison ford and he figures it out or starts to figure it out that that it's the same he sees her and he remembers her and i think his performance because he's still in love with her like he's you know it's it's really it's a good performance but it's a really good movie so a couple of his later career ones didn't make much money at the box office yeah yeah uh, but really worth tracking down if you want to see a couple of good movies that he does very well in yeah and i'll just give a shout out to uh his performance in frantic as well uh, roman polanski's 1988 film where he's basically uh, trying to find his his wife's abducted in Paris, and he's he's just he's trying to find her down. He's playing like an everyman kind of character. Oh, actually, a doctor, I think he is, isn't that yeah. So it's a bit like the fugitive, but this time he's trying to find his wife who's been kidnapped, and he's just trying to get his find his way around Paris. And yeah, that's that's another good one. And also the tiny role he had in American Graffiti, nineteen seventy three. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. As the, I always liked that that little performance whenever he was on screen, and you're going, oh my god. Yeah, oh. Right, right, right. Oh, he's exactly. a bit of a dirtbag, but yeah, he's cool. Yeah, but back in the days when I was obsessed with Star Wars and Indiana Jones, well, I still am, but back in when I was younger, it was like anything I could see with him in it, and I would watch American Graffiti, which was George Lucas, so I was watching it anyway because I'd watch anything he did, and there's Harrison Ford, and it was like, oh my gosh, look at that. It's the coolest yeah, yeah, thing ever, yeah. so I totally get that. Cool. So, very good. But there's Harrison Ford. I'm sure there's plenty of films out there that you all like, and if you want to get in touch... Uh, about some of the performances of Harrison Ford that we may have not mentioned or forgotten about, then drop us a line uh, on Twitter, Facebook, or you can email us uh, or leave comments on whatever podcast platform you're currently listening to this on. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our episode. But before we go, Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week? Okay, yes. So next time we'll be going after the ending of FX2 and American Beauty. That's a double bill I never thought we'd be there. <laughs> yep. And FX2 is the sequel to FX. That's F slash X. Yeah. Uh, it's really going to, the endings again will probably be sort of be more of the, you know, the, the further adventures of the characters, not necessarily specific to FX2. So if you've only seen FX, it's they're not plot heavy movies. So you can still listen along and you'll be perfectly fine. Yeah. And if you wonder what the hell FX is, it's also called FX Murder by Illusion. It was the one with uh, Brian Brown and Brian Dennehy about a visual effects artist getting involved in gangsters and stuff. 
which the, yeah. the, they're really fun movies. Yeah, the first one especially. I watch I watch that over and over. Uh, yeah, but we'll also be doing uh, our top five favorite performances by Emma Stone. Yeah, that should be a good one. She's a great actress and has done a wide range of roles for a young actress. Yeah, so yeah. that should be fun to get to dig into. Yeah, look, you could, uh, yeah she's got a good back catalog of movies. Definitely. All right, there you go. So that is it for us for this week. It's good to be back. As always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Although he's particularly impressed by the military's dedication to... No, I don't want to say that. Although he's particularly impressed by the Interstellar Academy's dedication to explore... Oh, my God. (laughs) It's been a while. I know, right? You can always tell. Okay. (laughs) Well, while we wait for Phil to dial back in, since we seem to have lost our Skype connection, uh, I will use this time to talk about one of our topics. Uh, And today's topic is alliteration and assonance. Now, alliteration, everybody knows, is when you use uh, a, a similar, you know, similar le- the same letter over and over again in a sentence, like talking to tulips on Tuesday. That's alliteration. But here's what really grinds my gears, to quote a popular cartoon that I don't actually like. People also will say something like, you know, people will say something like energy-eating Ethernet. That's alliteration. But it's not. It's assonance. When you use the same vowel sound at the beginning of the words, it is not alliteration. It's assonance. And people mess that up way too often. Hello again. Then Silver's message says, oh, excuse me. <laughs> really? That's, that's, that's what it says, message. yeah. yeah. It's a, one final prank from Silver. He's, yeah. he's, he's, just a he's wily that guy. Yeah. <laughs> You're, I'm going to just yell for a second. You're going to hear me. Liz, you can come in for a sec. My wife is creeping up the stairs because oh. she probably wants to change. But Hi. You like my new setup? <laughs> you can talk because we're breaking from recording for a minute. You look lovely. Oh, thanks, Mike. I don't know how to say me. <laughs> you look lovely too, Phil. Oh, thanks. Vincent is constantly looking for another get Rick, not a get Rick quick scheme because I don't, that would be weird. <laughs> I got a get Rick quick scheme. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to find a guy named Rick and I'm going to grab him. <laughs> I've got a Rick. Uh, side note, I will just tell you, uh, I was drinking when you said that they, you know, they're standing on Mars and I, I didn't do a full on spit take, but you, you definitely <laughs> caught me off guard. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> so nicely done.